My name is Tom. I'm an alcoholic. Good night. <laughs> My sobriety date is July the 5th, 1962. My home group is Avon Lake Friday, which is a little town right on Lake Erie, about 20 miles west of Cleveland. And I thank you for inviting me down to share my strength, hope, and experience. You pull from 32 years to 35 years, 36 is going to be 35. 35. This is the longest day I ever put in. Many experiences get through your mind when you're up here that you want to share. Many stories, and that's the only reason I'm here. I'm not here to teach or preach. I'm here to tell you what my life is like when I was drinking and what my life is like as a result of AA. And what you're hoping that God happens is when you see people with four days and five days and four months and five months, a man here with one day. And if he's anything like most of us, well, if not all of us, you walk into a room like this and you see people dressed nice and looking good and laughing and you see people with their wives talking. My God, my wife and I never talked. We just, five minutes, we'd be at each other's throat. And you think, oh God, yeah, it may work for them, but it won't work for me. I'm different. If you knew, believe me, every alky in the room knows because we all thought we were different. And you come here long enough and you find out underneath with so much alike it's frightening. I'll sit down with any five alkies in this room at this table and we'll have four cups of coffee and we know each other a long time. Because it isn't a language from the head, it's a language from the heart. That's what makes it work. When I say I was afraid and didn't know what I was afraid of, you know what I'm talking about. And I say I woke up in jail and the cop walks by and says, boy, you did it this time and you don't know why you're there. You know what I'm talking about. When I say I went to bed and hope to God I didn't wake up, a lot of you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of pain. Pain got me here. I don't know how you got here, but pain got me here. If I was still having fun, I'd be still out there. But sooner or later, people, the price gets too high. And I couldn't pay it anymore. God, I, I, I love to see people's eyes when I talk. And I, I, I'm going to be turning over here because I want to talk to these people too. And I want to talk to these people. And you're hoping upon hope that, that the newer people say, well, I'll go back one more day. That's, that's it, people, one more day. I met a couple of guys I like. I'm going to go back and see what they got. That's all we're trying to do up here. God, we're going to laugh. I hope that God we laugh. We better laugh because if I come to AA and seen a bunch of sad face moaning people for me I can't drink, I wouldn't have stayed. If I seen people that was as crazy as anybody I ever I knew so drunk and they were sober 20 years and they were still nuts. Crazy as bed bugs. Nobody says we're well. <laughs> we're trying to get well. That's why we're here. I'll be sick to the day you put me in a box. But boy, it's a lot better than what it was when I come here. 
And I've learned how to laugh at myself. That's, that's, oh God, that's, you learn not to take yourself so damn serious. You learn you're not the center of the universe. You wear a kind of light. It's a good way to go. Good way to go. Qualified. That's just trying to go from the fun years to the sick years to the dying years. One reason you don't have a right to be up there, and the other reason is maybe if you got problems like I had, when you go into meetings and you, and you see people that, that are dressed like this and, and can afford. My first banquet in Cleveland was an intergroup dinner. I was sober about six months, and my sponsor bought the tickets for my wife and I. They were $5 a piece. We didn't have it. I'll never forget that. And I look out here and, and I've seen people dressed nice. And my wife borrowed a dress from a friend of hers. And I've seen women dressed nice and I thought, oh my God. They were complaining about the cold chicken. Complain about the cold chicken. We didn't even have food in the refrigerator. And I felt like saying, you're complaining. You never had it so good. You got garbage cans a year ago. Now we got a lot to be... Grateful for. I'm going to take an inventory. When I take mine, you take yours. We'll leave here a hell of a lot stronger. Just remember where you come from. By the way, the food tonight I thought was great. I want to thank you people. You did a hell of a job. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and drinking was a way of life, people. My dad was an admitted alcoholic. That was the, the social event of the of the week was meeting Friday night on pay night when my dad got paid. My mother and I and my sister used to meet my dad at the neighborhood bar and they had fish fries and played shuffleboard, sang songs about the old country and everybody telling lies how great it was. I knew something was wrong with these people then. It was so damn good night and why'd they leave? Living in Brooklyn, taking jobs, living in cold water flats. Uh, no, something's wrong with these people. Ended up in a fight. Every Friday night, that's fights. Went back there Saturday, talked about the great time they had Friday. <laughs> Sunday we went to church, and Monday you went to work, and wait till next Friday, and you did it all over again. That was just the way we lived. We didn't know anybody that didn't drink. My dad didn't want to know anybody that didn't drink. We don't trust people who don't drink. <laughs> I got a draft card saying I'm, I'm 18 when I'm 15, and you drink. It was just accepted to everybody. I got in a jackpot, and, and they sent me off to the service. No service stories. I, I didn't like the service. I went in a private, and four years later, I come out of private. <laughs> I just weigh well a lot. Whenever I had money, I just didn't go back. I did, didn't go back. Go on a drunk. Get discharged, you go back home, you go through the legal drinking years. You're getting rehabilitated to civilian life. I was cutting a bar fight in San Francisco. My dad told everybody in the neighborhood that I was wounded in Korea. I don't know where the hell Korea is. I couldn't find Korea on a map. But I loved it. I walked in a bar and the bartender set up the first one and everybody in the neighborhood, oh, there's, there's Frank's son. Send him down a drink. He had a rough over there. <laughs> About midnight, the, the old time in the neighborhood comes down, puts his arm around your shoulders. Said, Gee, Tom, I heard you had a rough over there. How did it happen? I just put my head down and said, well, the doctor said I shouldn't talk about that. What's that you going to tell him? <laughs> You're not going to make a liar out of your dad, and if he's buying a drink, she'll tell him any damn thing he wants to eat. He wants to hear I don't know any alky that won't. I don't know any alky that won't be what he has to be at the time. Friday night, he's fighting three cops. He's winning for three seconds. <laughs> 
Tuesday morning before the judge, you think he's an altar boy. Oh, my God, Your Honor, I don't know. I'll never do it again. You know, I... Oh, I'm home maybe a year and a half, people. I don't remember. Time is very confusing to me, and I'll get into later why. This isn't a, a date trip. It's a feeling trip, huh? I'm trying to get to my bottom. God almighty, uh... Trying to get to the point where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you know you have to change your life, but you can't believe you can live without drinking. That's what I'm trying to get to. And then show you it's possible. When I get in AA, you're going to think, boy, that guy loves AA. You better believe it. Without it, I, I'd be still in the streets if I was alive. I have a son that's got 15 years of sobriety. You talk about, you talk about blessings, and, his, and I got grandkids that come to my house with smiles on their face instead of tears. That's why my wife isn't here. My grand, my old, but the first grandson, he goes to Eastern Michigan College and he's home for Thanksgiving and he took my wife out on a date tonight. And if she's, I'm second, I'm second. We had six grandchildren. I'm 16th on the list. If the grandkids. My own kids, I didn't know. I'm going to jump around and that's all right. It will make sense. Believe me, it always does. I don't worry about it anymore. I, I, I used to worry about it. In fact, my wife worried about it. We I don't know where we were, Texas or some damn place, and we went up to the room. She says to me, you know, Tom, you jump around a lot in your lead. You're talking about 1950, and then you're in the 1990, and then you're back in 90. She says, I, I can follow you because I lived it, but there's people out there that don't know us. Maybe they can't follow you. I said, honey, I'm talking alcoholics. <laughs> They're not wrapped too tight, honey. Believe me, they follow you. An Alki's brain can only stay concentrated on something for about a minute and a half, and then you lose them. <laughs> so we don't have any trouble. <laughs> My own kids were afraid of me, people. They didn't have daddy was coming home, and they never had friends at the house. I was either working overtime, tired, and, 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 and out of town working, or, or when I was home, I was nursing a hangover, and they couldn't make noise. If I was in the kitchen, they'd go in the living room. If I was in the living room, they went in the kitchen. Always, they didn't want to be around Daddy. God, I have, I have six grandchildren to think I'm the greatest thing that ever come down the pike. They want to share everything with me. Justin, Justin's 16 now, six foot, just weighed for football, 185 pounds, six foot three. Always tells me when he puts on three or four pounds, Grandpa, I'm lifting, I'm lifting a neck like that. I don't want to fool with him. <laughs> but when Justin was, Justin was seven years old, he was, he was, he was studying karate, you know, pink belt and that stuff they do when they're young. And we'd always go to the football game, go, hey, go. One Saturday morning, I'm, I'm in the kitchen and in comes Justin. Grandpa, Grandpa, I learned a new move. I sure did. What? He turned around, I got a coffee pot in my hand, and Justin jumps up and kicks. Oh, God, you know how kick? How high they kick when they're seven? You go down like a ton of bricks. You know, you know my kitchen. I was laying on the floor and I'm in deep pain. And Justin's jumping up and down. It works, it works, it works. There, it works, it works. I'll karate you. The, the, the only point I'm making, people, is that my own kids were afraid of me and my grandkids kicked me in a groin. No fear. No fear of Grandpa, because Grandpa isn't crazy anymore. Grandpa don't yell and scream anymore. And Grandpa's there to help all the time, not yell, not scream. Always there to just help. Katie, my red-headed Katie, oh, God, I, I, 
I could be here all night telling stories. We haven't got time, but Katie is, Katie's 17 now. She's a, oh, God, she's the most beautiful thing you ever want to see. I, I went down to Naples, Florida two, three, four years ago. No, it must have been last year because when she just turned 16. Well, I had a, a Chrysler convertible, uh, 1985, but it was mint. 32,000 miles on it, and, and it, it never had seen snow, never seen rain. I used to get it waxed and every year, had it detailed. That was my honeymoon car, and the, the summer nights, I just take the wife at the top down, we get riding down by the lake and all that jazz. I went down to Florida, and I come home, and I pulled in the garage, and, and the car's gone. So I said to the wife, I says, honey, who's doing the car this year? She says, well, I want to talk to you about that. I said, what do you mean you want to talk to me about that? Well, she says, well, you know, it's Katie's 16th birthday. I says, yeah. She says, well, Katie always loved that car, so I gave it to her. <laughs> I says, you did what? She says, I gave Katie the car. I says, honey, she can use it anytime she wants, but just give it to her. She says, don't, don't say anything. And she gets on the phone. She says, Kate, Grandpa's home. And in goes Kate in the driveway with the top down and the red hair flowing and runs in the house and kisses me. Oh, Grandpa, I love it. I go, oh, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> what are you going to do? You wonder why I love AA? When I come to AA, I couldn't borrow 15 cents off a of household finance without a co-signer. Now I buy every one of my kids when they turn 16. Those kids get a car. Justin just got a new Taurus. The other one got a Cougar. I bought a, I was out in, I bought a, a Lincoln out in Missouri. It was great. I come home with it. My son Chris, who's 43. Chris says, boy, Dad, that's a big car. Chris is 6'5", about 280. He said, the car's too big for you, Dad. It fits me right. Okay, here's the damn car. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Thanks to AA. I can do That's my AA. You can do the thing. You can make amends. You can, you can do things and, and, and take away some of the pain you caused in the years. That's my AA. So anyway, I come home one night. My dad grabs me. I'm home about a year and a half. He says, listen, your mother's seen enough of this nonsense with me. I don't see any reason she has to go through this. I'm going on two and three-day benders, and I'm getting in a lot of jackpots, okay? He says, if this is the way you want to live, get out of the house. Get out into the world and grow up. Grow up. One of the first things I heard when I come to AA is, when are you going to grow up? Okay, Dad. I packed my bags. I was going out to California. I was stationed out there a while. I kind of liked it. I was going to go out and make my fortune. I was going to send money back to the poor people in Brooklyn. Oh, she drink and dream. I got on a bus, they had a rest stop in a town called Lorraine, Ohio. And I seen the bars up Broadway, and I got off the bus, I was going to have a couple of drinks in Lorraine, Ohio. That was 1952. I'm still in Lorraine, Ohio. I never had a couple of drinks in my life. I, I get drinking, the bus leaves, the clothes leave, I get off a drunk, and three days later, I'm almost broke. Call home, Dad, I'm in this town, I'm almost broke. If you send me some dough and I get out to the coast, Dad, I'll send it back a hundredfold. My dad had been talking to people in AA. Hey, I got this son that's nutty in a jaybird when he drinks. What can I do to help him? You want to help him, Frank? Yeah, don't help him. What the hell kind of advice is that? Let him wake up in enough jails, let him beat his head in against enough walls, let him get to the point where he's sick and tired of being sick and tired. Let him get to the point where for a couple of seconds he gets honest with himself and he says, maybe it's me. Then we'll break our back to help him. But till then, Frank, let the clown finish his act. Now, I've done it, and if you're in this program any other time, I'm sure you've done it. You went out and you tried to help people who need it and don't want it. It isn't for people who need it. 
I needed it years before I wanted it. You could have sent a hundred AAs to my house every weekend. I would have yet them to death just to get the hell out of the house so I can go up to the corner. I give everybody my best shot. I don't, I don't try to judge who needs it, who wants it. I just give everybody my best shot. That's how I was taught. My dad hangs up, says goodbye and good luck. No money. I get drinking in a local bar. They said they needed chemical engineers at a chemical company in Avon Lake, so I went on for an interview. Irish woman interviewed me. Oh, God. I told her I went to St. John's. Oh, yeah. Well, I never seen St. John's. But I told her that's where I went. I got the job. Now I'm a chemical engineer. <laughs> I can't spell chemical engineer. <laughs> but you put a drop with his back to the wall, he'll be it. I, I promise you. While well, working there, I met a young lady. Oh, my God. The most beautiful thing i ever seen in my life. Still is. We... December the 28th will have 45 years. Please oh. don't clap for me. If the shoe was on the other foot, it wouldn't have lasted 45 days. If she would have pulled one stunt that I pulled of many thousands, one, I would have locked the door, it would have been over. No drunk in this room could take what he dished out. No drunk in any room I've ever been in the country could take what he dished out. I don't know why God blesses us with people that stick with us. God Almighty. If my wife is here tonight and we were sitting at a table, you would watch me get the coffee for her. I don't get my wife's coffee because I'm some kind of a wimp. I get my wife's coffee because it's my way of saying thanks, honey. Thanks for being the woman you were when I wasn't the man I should have been. Thanks for making sure the kids ate and had a roof over their head and clothes on their back when I was on Dream Street. Thanks for being the person you are. Thanks for your, your you paid your dues in spades. You don't wait on me and I wait on you. For the rest of your life, I respect you, I love you, and for the rest of your life, you're going you're gonna to live like a queen. Now, I can't tell you what to do. You do whatever you want. But if you come to my home group and you with your wife, you'll get the coffee. We make sure you get the coffee. It's part of you making amends. It's part of saying thank you. Is that too much? Is that too much? Met this young lady and she invited me to a home for dinner. I went to a home and I met a mother. Her mother is now 82 years old. God, she's, we hit it off. It was fantastic. We still hit it off. She loves to gamble. She loves those slot machines. And, and I take her out to Las Vegas. I give her 200 bucks worth of quarters and you don't see her for three days. <laughs> she got a right arm like Joe Lewis. God almighty. I think she got a gambling problem, but who the hell cares? She's 82. So. Her dad was a pipe fitter welder by trade. He was working down the river at the time. And it was this time of the year. I met, her, met my wife in, in November. I married her in December. I knew I had a good thing. I wasn't letting it go. My dad come home and, and we got to meet each other. We got drinking together. Got along great. Midnight, he says, Tom, he says, would you do me a favor? As you name it, Walt, you got it. He says, never come near my home and my daughter again. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? I thought we got along wonderful. He says, we do. I'll drink with you any time, but I don't want you with my daughter. You drink too much. I said, what do you mean I drink too much? You're drinking drinks to drink with me. Walt, he says, that's why I know. I put my family through hell with this booze. You think I want my daughter going through it with you? I'm going to marry your daughter. He's over my dead body. I said, need be. And the lights went out, boy. He broke my nose. Boom. 
three hours, about an hour later, we're down the hospital, they're sewing him up, they're sewing me up, it's a mess. Three days later, I married his daughter. I went to work drunk and lost the job. Now here I am in a strange town with a wife, no job, no nothing. So what can the poor guy do? He takes me down to Cleveland, gets me involved in a pipe fitter apprenticeship with the uh, local 120. Didn't have any place to live, so we took his brand new garage. We ripped the front door off. We put on a door and a couple of windows, and we insulated and put a little space heater in the kitchen and a shower and oh, the honeymoon cottage. And the deal is, as soon as Tom starts making better money, we're going to buy a house in the suburbs and we're going to live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Four children and seven years later, we're still in the cottage. And I'm a journeyman now, and I'm making a pretty decent buck, but the more I make, the more I drink. I used to drink on Friday, Saturday, sober up Sunday, go to work Monday. Now it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sober up Monday, go to work Tuesday. Get paid on Wednesday, never make Thursday. Wake up in Chicago, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, never knew where I was going to wake up. Corner park, in the car, in the driveway, on the kitchen floor. I used to wake up on the kitchen floor a lot. She'd come out and say, I, I need some money for groceries. I don't have any money for groceries. I don't know what happens to money when I get drinking. So I did the only thing I know how to do. I would attack. Damn it, I drank when I married you. I'm going to continue to drink. And if you don't like it, wow, 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 wow. You're not going to make me like that neighbor. I had a neighbor. I hated his guts. He was normal. <laughs> Talk about a wimp. His biggest thing in this guy's life is his grass. Every Saturday morning, he mows the grass. And I got a hangover, and he's running that damn lawnmower. I would be in a neighborhood bar, and he would come in, and I'd be neighborly. You know, give so-and-so a drink. And, and he, he'd drink one drink, and he'd leave. I said, where are you going? He said, I have to go home. Supper is waiting. Supper's waiting. When I stopped him for one drink, I could care less if the Pope is waiting. I don't understand people like that. I don't understand my wife. I take her out for dinner. She orders a glass of wine, drinks half of it. Drives me right out of my mind. She didn't want the damn thing. Why'd you order it? I had enough. I'll have coffee now. Oh, God. I still don't understand that. 35 years old, I still don't understand that. I'm leaving you. That was my big spiel. Oh, I'm leaving you. I don't know where the hell I'm going. I go in the bedroom, and I take my brown paper bag, I get my toothbrush and my underwear, and I'm leaving. She would come in and cry. Tom, what I do to upset you? I didn't mean to upset you, Tom. I, I had the world by the tail. For years, I had my wife believing it was her fault I drank. We're good at that. You live with an alky, you think you're the nutty one. We can make you believe you don't know what day it is. When my wife was 28, she looked 60. She, I had her beat down so bad mentally she couldn't think for herself. She was ashamed to go shopping where the neighbors could see her. Now she's past 60. God to me, she looks 28. You should see her. Thanks, Alanon. Anyway, I had her believe in that way. And, and, and then when I went to AA, they took her to that communist thing. <laughs> God, I was so glad when she went there. I thought she was going to learn how to help me. Oh, God. Don't work that way. They learn how to help themselves in spite of you. They learn how to live happy in spite of you. Thank you. Thank you. I got a wife that walks with her head high and looks like a million dollars in her eyes shine again. And she's got... Anybody that knows us, you know who the smart one is in our home.
I go home one night about four in the morning, my suitcase hits me right in the chest. She says, get out of my life. Get out of our life. I can't live this way anymore. I'll get a job. I'll do whatever I have to do. I was happy. I was going to go live on the Gold Coast. I was going to get Cadillac convertible and I was, oh, drink and drink. When you don't work too steady, you don't live on the Gold Coast. You live on West 65th and Detroit Avenue, right behind the Avenue Bar. And your big night's out of sitting in all the dives, peeling the labels off a beer bottle, listening to poor me songs. Tell me about the good times. And you're getting popped. Your time is off, your legs are shot, and you're in bad shape. And when you want to see your kids, you want to see your kids at three in the morning, so you drive out there on Lake in your, your car. Every, every Alfie has a car, don't we? In construction, most people have two cars. They have a nice family car that they take the family out on the weekends with, and then they have the work car, an old pickup or an old beat-up truck that they... they go to the mills and the different jobs with. We had one car, an old beat-up Plymouth with ball tires and no ignition key. I'll drink one night and I lost the keys. My electrician buddy says, don't worry, I'll fix it. Reaches under the dash, pulls out all the wires, puts three wires together with a clothespin. That's how the car starts. You put them together, your car starts. I just go out in the morning, put the clothespin on the car, would start, I'd be going to work. 600 cars all around me. I hit a bump, the clothespin drops, and the car stops. I'm looking for the clothespin. People blowing their horns, screaming. And I thought that was normal. Oh, you don't buy keys. That's openers. You pull in the driveway to see your kids, and the cops pull in right behind you. You're not going to see your kids because there's restraining orders. Got a room this size, I hope to God I'm wrong, but if somebody goes out again and a cop grabs you and he says, come with us, young fella, do yourself a favor, go with him. Because if you think you're John Wayne, you're going to throw one punch, you're going to wake up in jail, your hair is going to hurt. And I got nothing against cops. If I was a cop and some young punk talked to me the way I talked to them, I'd break his head too. It's old, people. She says we were separated a year and a half. I don't remember. I don't remember. But I remember calling her up and saying, Honey, I haven't drank in, in three weeks. I, I, I want to take you and the kids on a picnic. I don't want to live this way anymore. She says, You haven't drank in three weeks? I says, No. She says, Okay, so Sunday I went out. I bought picnic baskets and I bought baseball gloves and I did what I thought. Who teaches you how to be a father? Took him down the valley and I threw the ball. I did this for three Sundays in a row and she thought I was a changed man and we were going to try again. Fresh start, huh? Only good at fresh starts. All our piece are good at fresh starts. And I borrowed money off of friends and relatives and we bought a house on land contract, a little summer cottage that they remodeled in winterized is what they did. And I remember standing on the front porch and, and I wasn't blowing smoke and I wasn't trying to con anybody. I was as honest as I could be. I said, Glenn, I'm never going to drink again. I'm going to go to work Monday, we're going to start paying the bills, and we're going to look like other people. When I was working, I was making as much money as anybody on the street. They were going to Florida in the wintertime, they were buying new cars every other year. Their kids were going to school dressed nice and warm. My kids were going to schools with summer clothes in the wintertime. There's something wrong. Well, it was exactly 30 days later, and I know it was 30 days later because I... The house payment was due and I didn't have it because sometime during that 30 days I was so good I deserved one. Stopped in for one and the rat race starts all over again. 
Well, I'm sitting on the front porch and I'm hurting and up comes my brother. My brother was my electrician buddy. I introduced him to my wife's sister and they got married. Oh, God, you should see my father-in-law now. He's a raving maniac. He got two alkies for son-in-law. Up he comes. Gee, Tom, I got problems. That's what I mean, you got problems. Well, I got a drunken driving charge. I got to go before Jensen Tuesday. Bob, I don't want to hear it. I got four of them in five months. I'm borrowing money from loan companies to pay lawyers and judges and fines. He said, yeah, but I'm being sued for divorce. I says, I know. He says, how do you know? I says, I got my papers this morning, too. Jensen was a friend of the family. He called both the girls in. He said, look, I'll give you two divorces for the price of one. Get rid of both the losers. You girls can do better than them. Well, we're sitting there talking. Out comes the wife, and she's talking to the brother-in-law. They always got along great. Still do. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of living then and living now. My wife and her sister would not see each other for eight, nine, ten months at a time. Because whenever Bob and I got together, it was a three-day shot. It always just turned out that way. I remember once they come visit us on Christmas time. They, they were shopping together, and they had a car full of Christmas presents for the kids. And they stopped to say hello. I said, don't cook. We'll go up and get some of those roasted chickens. And Bob and up, I got in the car and went up to get the roasted chickens. And the guy said, take 20 minutes. I said, all right, we'll be right back. We're going over to have a drink. Three days later, we're in the hills of Pennsylvania looking for his drunken uncle. <laughs> with the Christmas presents, with everything. That's another Christmas shot of many times I come home in the tree and me will. That's drinking living. Now let me show you sober living. Four or five years ago, I was supposed to go out to um, Eugene, Oregon to, to speak at a, some kind of a dinner like this. And Bob comes up to the house. Bob is sober over 30 years, too. And uh, I said, i got to go out to Eugene, Oregon. He said, gee, Tom, you know, we never took a vacation with the wives. He says, why don't we do that? I said, what do you want to do? He says, well, suppose we leave four or five weeks early and just get in the van and bum around the country. And we'll go to Eugene, and then we'll take, we'll take the southern route out and the northern route back. I said, that sounds good. He throws a dot at a map, and we get the wives, and we leave. For five weeks, we bummed around the country like, like kids on a honeymoon. Go to Denver, Colorado, go up to Deadwood, South Dakota, go up to Mount Rushmore, go to Montana, go to up that, that coast along California, up that coastline up to Seattle and then to Montana, just bumming, living in the finest hotels, eating in the finest restaurants because you're sober, you got a few pennies, you can afford it. You're dancing with your wife like you're a bunch of teenagers. She's, her eyes are shining. Oh, God, I look at this audience, I'm going to give some of you people a tip that are so, sober and married a long time. At home, I might as well be married to Sister Ignatia. Nothing happens in my house. I take my wife on a trip like that. We get in a hotel. She turns into a $500 a night hooker. <laughs> it's the greatest thing you've ever seen. If your life is a little dull, just get a room. Get a room. Watch what happens. Boom, they go nuts. I go out and take leave anytime I can and take the wife anytime I can. Boy, I love it. Part of sobriety. It's a good part of sobriety. Makes up for the years I slept on the couch. That's sober living, people. That's sober living. It's great. It's great. You can't beat it.
White talked to Grubmore about a group of, they were talking to a minister, and he told him about a group of people that met on Friday nights, and they must be doing something right because they don't drink, and they put their lives together. Bob says, you think if I go to that club, she'll hold off on a divorce? She's, I don't know, Bob, that'd be up to her. Might be worth a shot. I say, how about me? I'll go, I'll go to the Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts. I don't want a divorce, she's you. They don't make anything out people like you. You're crazy. Friday night, we went to our first, quote, AA meeting. I'm 28, he's 27. Who the hell can tell you anything when you're 28? You're streetwise, you got all the answers. Two things I'm very sure of is I'm standing outside the door of this church cafeteria type room we're going into. I don't like or trust people. Everybody's a pony, everybody's shooting angles. I'll suck at you before you suck at me. That's how you think when you live in the streets. I didn't know I was going to meet people like I met in these rooms. I didn't know I was going to meet people that come back to my house and sat at my kitchen table with me till three, four in the morning because they knew I was shaking and wanted to help me get through the night. And they didn't have a hand out for anything because they got their greatest joy out of watching new man stay sober. That's where they get their joy. That's where the payoff is. It comes from inside, not outside. You swell up with it. I didn't join AA. I can't separate AA from my life anymore. I can separate my fingers from my hand. It becomes part of you. We walk into this room. There's the coffee over there. And there's a table set up. And a little place where the speaker goes. I got 35 cents in my pocket. Clean work clothes and a pair of loafers that don't quite have holes in them. That's it. There's no food in the refrigerator. They're turning off the gas. I'm losing the house. I'm being sued for divorce. And I can't get a job out of the hall because they know the first time I get a paycheck, I get drunk. So they're not going to give me anything decent. They're going to give to somebody who will take care of it. I walk in this room and everybody looks good. I thought I was at a PTA meeting. Everybody's dressed nice, look good, talking to their wives, laughing. Five or six guys over there telling jokes and laughing. And two things hit me. My God, look at them. They were old. Fifty-five. 60 years old, no wonder they quit drinking. They try to sober, not drink now, they're dead. They couldn't cut it. Where'd they ever drink? One guy breaks away from the coffee pot. He comes over, he sticks out his hand. He was 105. <laughs> Welcome, it's so good to see you young guys. This program works, fellas. I haven't had a drink in 16 years. 16 years. My legs got weak. My brother says, you got to be awful thirsty, mister. <laughs> Who the hell ever heard of not drinking for 16 years? Don't talk years. Talk days, hours, and minutes. Tell me about the days you stormed out of the house and slammed the door because they don't appreciate you. They still treat me like I used to, and I haven't had a drink in two weeks. Huh? You've been kicking people in the teeth for 20 years. Two weeks, you've been so good, now you want the whole world to always be wonderful. Don't work that way. you got to earn it. You've got to earn respect and trust. Start telling us about this wonderful life we're going to find. I say, Mr. Not Me, him. I drink, but I can quit any time I want. But him, his wife's divorced him. He's got drunken driving charge. He's in big trouble. I come to help him. Oh, thank you. And he took Bob and went over in the corner. And I went over to get some coffee. And I put a cup in my hand because I had strangers shaking hands with me. And I don't like that. I have a tough time walking into crowded rooms. I got my wall up. If you knew, you know what I'm talking about. 
inside you're shaking and trembling and you need help and you want help and you're thinking, oh God, I hope something happens. And people come up to you and say, how you doing, young fella? You say, fine. You don't want anybody in. You don't want anybody to know you're afraid. Well, everyone in this room is afraid at one time or another and they'll tell you that. They're not ashamed to tell you they're afraid because then the surrender comes to strength. I went over to get coffee and they, and they were telling jokes about drunken driving charges. What the hell kind of Looney Tune land is this? Drunken? There's nothing funny about drunken driving charges. They're laughing. <laughs> Where do you borrow money from loan companies to pay them, fella? You ain't laughing. Then he announced the lead. Oh, here's the Messiah, right? Here's the, here's the guy that's going to make us well. Guy gets up there and he's got a brand new suit and a white shirt and a tie. And, oh, he's tiptoeing through the tulips. Walking three feet off the ground. He, they had a cake. It was, it was his first lead and his first anniversary. One candle. His wife is sitting in the audience. He got up here and he looked at her and he says, Hi, honey, I love you. She stands up and says, I love you too. And my brother-in-law poked me in the ribs. He says, what the hell are we doing here? I said, I know what we're doing here, you sick son of a gun. You wanted to come here, not me. Second thing I hear is, is, isn't it great to be sober? I got up this morning and I could smell the flowers. I, I got real problems. And you tell me if I come here for a year, you're going to give me a cake and I'm going to smell flowers? You don't live in my world, fella. You don't know. You don't, you, I don't know what you drank, but you don't. I want out. Will you please get done so I can get the hell out of here? He finally got finished. And I started to the door as quick as I could. And at the door stands Big John. John, huh? John was 6'4", about two, 220, and in good shape. Oh, boy. And I start towards the door, and I see him looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and I figure, oh, that's how it works. <laughs> You're not going to drink tonight, Tom, because John's going to make sure you don't drink tonight. And John put out his hand. He grabbed my hand. He said, hello, young fella. I said, hello. And they won't let go of your hand. <laughs> Five minutes, he told my whole story from divorces, the drunken driving charges, the losing jobs. You know why I know that? He said, that's where I was. And I got here and a lot worse. There's people in his room come out of straps. There's people in his room come off the streets. There's people in his room living in cardboard boxes. There's people in his room are still living at $300,000 homes, but they live like zombies. But you do yourself a favor, young fella. You bring the body here, the mind's going to catch up. Bring the body, the mind will catch up. That's not too much to ask for a second chance at life. People in my head didn't keep me sober. My feet kept me sober. My head sat at meetings and wanted to drink, but my feet took me to the meeting. My head wanted to drink. My feet took me down. I pray with Sister Ignatia. My head wanted to drink. I go to my sponsor's house because my feet took me there. I did coffee at four different groups. And I don't know how many times I wanted to drink. But I think, boy, I told those guys I'd make the coffee tonight. I'll make the coffee and then I'll go get drunk. By the time you make the coffee, you'll get through that day. Sometimes you're going to do it ten minutes at a time. I just count telephone poles on the way home from work. It isn't easy. The toughest thing I ever did. It isn't easy. Simple program. But I got to do it my way. <laughs> Don't work that way. You get the hell out of the way and let the program work. But I always had been away. How do you explain eyes? 
How do you explain strong, kind, wonderful life? How do you explain people talking to you and not at you? How do you explain that? All my life I had people looking down at me and talking down to me. I come in these rooms and you people look at me, eyeball, eyeball, and talk to me, and I get the feeling you like me. You know how good that is to an alky? You get a book up here tonight. I guarantee you, everybody with, that has one more day than you have is, is, can do no more and pour their heart's blood out to you and say, oh, please, we know how good it is. We know you don't, but keep coming. You're going to find out. That's what we pray for you or anybody. As we pray for each other. We're not here. This isn't a cookie club. We're here trying to save each other's life. This isn't fun and games. Yeah, we laugh and have good times because when you're sober and live a normal life, you're supposed to. But we're really here to save each other's life. My small group, Avon Lake, there's 39 people who are dead now. Because they thought they could drink again. Wrapped themselves around concrete bridges. Committed suicide. John. John was around about 14 years. Never got more than 11 months. Because John had to find out why. John used to go on head trips all the time. Why am I different? Read all these books on psychology and psychiatry and blah, blah, blah. He used to come to the house and question why, why. I don't care why. John, I do these things. I don't drink anymore. I know that. I drank because it made me feel good, John. Now I go to AA because that makes me feel good, John. I don't care why. I don't care if there's something wrong. If I just live the way I'm living, it's all right. I live normal. Oh, no, there must be more. i got to find out. John went to Arizona or some damn place, come back to my kitchen, says, Oh, Tom, I found out why I drink. I oh, you did. Why? It's my mother didn't breastfeed me. Your mother didn't breastfeed you, you simple son of a gun. You're 42 years old. You want to suck on something? I'll get you a cow. What the hell is it with you? John could never make it, John. John got drunk in, in the house, sat in the chair, smoking a cigarette. The cigarette put the chair on fire, and the chair put John on fire, and that's how John died. You think we're playing games? I met three men that night I liked. And I knew they had something because they made me feel good. And on the way home, boss, what do you think? I said, Bob, they got something. Guys coming over my house tomorrow, pick me up, pick me to me. He's all not me, Tom. I'm too young. I got too much living to do, Tom. Bob did all his living. Put him in a white coat. He was in somebody's attic swallowing his tongue in the DTs. And I come back to your meetings. And for four months, I come to your meetings. And I heard all your success stories. Yeah, I lived in the streets and I drank wine and I did this and I, I never did that. And I come home from the meeting and the wife say, how the meeting go, honey? We mean how the meeting go, I'm sober, ain't I? Oh. <laughs> Working every day, still in hot, still getting phone calls. They're going to guarantee my pay. They're going to do this. We still haven't got any money. I'm sleeping on the couch. Is she going to want me in the bed with her? I could have been a priest. <laughs> Not coming near me. The only reason we were together it was survival. We couldn't afford a divorce. There was no nothing in that house. It was a miserable place to be. Sober. Dry. After four months, I decided my problem is not to be fine. Heard about John in South Dakota. They were putting in the, the Titan II fuser, Titan II missiles. Working seven twelves, and out I went. Four months not drinking at home, seven weeks not drinking out there. They put me in charge of Titan II fuel systems. Working seven twelves, and the superintendent, anytime anybody worked, I got paid. Some weeks I got paid 24 hours a day around the clock. I made a lot of money. 
I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I've never seen a live chicken in my life. I, I know what I did. I leased a 300-acre chicken ranch. <laughs> now, they shouldn't let out these things. They should not let us. Because if I had my way with every new man, we'd take his brain out of his head for a year. <laughs> I could justify robbing a bank. Let him go through the motions and see the results. Oh, that, I do this, I don't drink. Oh, that's fine. But no, I get this damn ranch. I figure there's 2,000 guys out there. They need eggs. I'll be the egg king. I'll have all these eggs. I'll get a job. Everybody will buy eggs. And boy, I'll open up another one in Jersey. And I'll open up one in California. I'll be a millionaire. I go to the job and some guy from Iowa says, Tommy, you ever, ever, ever have anything to do with chickens or anything? I said, no. There's nothing to it. You feed them. They lay eggs. You sell the eggs. He said, no, you got to put gravel in with the feed. I said, why? That's what makes the eggshells hard. I said, right, yeah. So I called Tony. Tony was from New Jersey. Tony never seen a damn chicken either. Tony was the head of the laborers and all that stuff. So I called Tony. I said, Tony, would you do me a favor? He's your name is Tom. I said, would you take some gravel and put it out in the chicken hoops? Don't worry, Tom, you're covered. I went home that night. Tony dumped a 10-ton dump truck. <laughs> right into the chicken coops. Knocked them all over. Killed all the chickens. That was the end of the egg career. Okay. Now, I know. I'm Alki. I know. There's a guy sitting back there. He's going to go to his home group tomorrow. Did you go to that dinner? Yeah. How was the lead? I don't know. The dumb son of a dumb is up there talking about chickens being killed. What the hell's that got to do with sobriety? I'll tell you what's got to do with sobriety. If you don't know what the hell you're doing, get a sponsor. <laughs> and I'm not talking about I'm out the hospital 60 days. You're out 30 days. I'll sponsor you. And both of you go right down that two. Get a sponsor with some time. Get a sponsor. Get a sponsor. Break your legs if he thinks you're doing something wrong. He's not here to win friends and influence people. He's here because he loves you and wants to keep you sober. I call the wife. I say, come on out. She's your drinking. I says, no. You'll love it. I says, the deer goes right in the branch and his pheasant and you name it, everything. Okay, the kids and I will be out as soon as they get out of school. They come out in June. I went to town that night and I was shot in the beer because things were going so good and now my family's coming out make it better. She came out in June and she left in Christmas. Twice my family almost froze to death. Once the cops called her to tell her to come in and get me and, and on the way in she hit a whiteout. Went off the road. Got out of the car. Her eyes froze shut and she laying in the, in the highway when a fuel oil truck found her. If the fuel oil truck didn't come along my wife and kids would have been dead. Froze to death. I'm in jail on dreams. I know that was going on. Another time, same thing. Everything in the house went out, and I was in... Yeah, it's, it's not fun. She took all she could. In Christmas, she packed up and went home. I lost the job because I couldn't read a print anymore because I have to drink to work and work to drink, and I'm walking around like a zombie. I think it's Saturday. It's Tuesday. Walk in a bar on payday, and you give the guy a check, and he gives you half of it back because you owe him a thousand or two from drinking. Checks you're writing. Never send a dime home. One guy from Ohio said, Tommy, I'm going, I'm going home. Let me take you. And you get back to the Ohio, you get to the back door. She opens the door. She says, I don't want the kids to see you. I got the papers in for the divorce. Get out of our lives. If you got any decency at all, just get out of our lives. You go to the hall. You get a ticket to go to work in New York. You get to New York. You're too sick to work. You stop in for a drink. And the next thing you know, you're riding the subway. You're sleeping on the subway. You're sleeping in airways, doorways. I used to say, I'll never drink wine. You'll drink any damn thing you get your hands on. They pass a brown paper bag. You don't ask what's in it. And if you've never been there, I'm going to tell you something. The only difference between a high-bottom drunk and a low-bottom drunk is one drink and time. 
You never done that? Try it. It's waiting. That's what I used to think. I'll never do that. You'll do it. I wake up in the, in the apartment stoops one time in the, in the hallway where my mom and dad lived on Coney Island Avenue. And I woke up. My mother's sitting next to me crying, sobbing. My God, son, will you please go get help? I can, you're, you're breaking my heart. Mom, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Mom, I'll be all right. Now, look at you. You've been sleeping in the streets for weeks. That's drunken living. Let me, let me show you sober living. As a result of getting an AA and meeting engineers and people and so forth, my son Chris and Craig and, my son Chris and Craig and I, we go into our own mechanical piping business. And we're blessed. And I got good bookkeepers and lawyers and everybody directing me and I got people showing me how to bid and I learn and I go back to school, I learn more and, and things go wonderful. And I go down to Florida to visit my sponsor and I, Thought, my God, with my people, before my, I said, well, my mom and dad love her down here. No snow, no nothing. He's telling me there's a house for sale up the street. I said, there is. I went up, I buy the house. I go to New York, I said, come on, mom, you don't leave this furniture, leave everything, take your toothbrush, come on. I took my mom and dad down to Fort Myers, I said, this is your new home. My mother's crying now, but the tears are joy. My God, look what Tommy did for us. You can, that's my AA. You can help fix the pain that you caused. Hold on my aunts. Come on. She was at all Brooklyn down in Florida. They had a lot of good years before they passed away. A lot of six, seven, eight years. Great times. I was so happy I could do it. You think getting things are good when you start giving. You don't know what you know what happiness is until you start giving. I figure all the hell, if nothing works, say it don't work, my mother don't even, I'll, I'll commit suicide. And, and I was going down the third avenue of the L where the trains run. And you know what I'm thinking? Boy, are they going to be sorry. Where did they hear what happened to me? It's all their fault, huh? To an alky, it's always their fault. I get up on the bridge and I look over and I got a spiritual awakening. I've seen these big boulders, them rocks. And I thought to myself, suppose you jump and you hit the rocks and you don't die. Oh, my God, that's going to hurt people. I don't want to hurt. I don't know any alky that wants to hurt. Call the wife. She sent me money to come home because raising four kids was a tough shot. And she thought if I got in town, maybe I can give her a few bucks. I got back to town and for five days. I shook apart in that house. I, I mean, I trembled. Went down the hall. The guy said, Tommy, I'm going to give you a three-day job down the middle. Get a check and get the hell out of town. I got a three-day check. I went to a bar to cash it, and I woke up in jail, and I cried all night. I don't know why I'm in jail. I'm in jail because I went home that night, and I totally wrecked the house. When the cops come, I got my wife against the kitchen wall. What kind of nut am I? I don't believe in laying a hand on a woman. I got my wife by the throat. You're crazy. I look between the bars, and who's standing there but my brother-in-law, my nutty brother-in-law, and he's dressed up, and his eyes are shining. He looks great. And even with him, I drank with him. I got to put up my wall. Bob, can you imagine I'm in jail again? He's can I imagine? Yes, he laughed. He's of course. You're just like me. When you drink, you're crazy. You're just like me. You an alcoholic? You're just like me. Tom, I haven't had a drink in eight days. Ah, uh, you, you, Bob, you can't go eight days. I, I, I drank with you. Tommy, I go to two meetings a day. I got a sponsor. After I got out of straps, I went to detox, and I, I go to two meetings a day, Tom. If they don't send you away, I'll take you with me tonight. 
I got six years of probation, and that night, he come to my house, and a man that was old enough to be my father, and we went to Lorraine St. Mary's. I can't tell you a thing about the lead. But after the lead, he shook hands with another man. He said, I'll see you next week. And I grabbed him. I said, how do you know that? How do you know you're going to see him next week? How do you know you're going to be sober next week? He's back off and come with me, and we went to a drugstore. We got vitamin B, kale, syrup, orange juice, and honey. We went to my kitchen table. He poured out the vitamin B pills, mixed the honey and the orange juice. said, take them and drink that. You talk about a third step. Made a decision to turn. I turned my life over to him. People, I didn't have a God. I didn't have faith in anything. But I had faith in this man. He was sober 12 years and he had the good eyes. And whatever he wanted me to do, I was going to do. Because I was afraid not to. Fear. The good, healthy fear. I was afraid to drink again. He said, what time is that? 10 after 12. Did you have a drink today? I says, no. He says, you got it. I said, I got what? He's got the program. I got what program? What the hell are you talking about? I got a, you haven't had a drink in 24 hours. That's bottom line. There's more. You're not ready. I'll be here at 8 o'clock in the morning to take you into Cleveland. Do you realize you're going to have one-third of today in? Keep it simple. I beg you, keep it simple. Eight o'clock, the man was there at my house. Took me in at Bella Morris. I got a shot of vitamin B. We went to two discussion groups. Took me home. I ate. And he came back and we went to a meeting. And I went to meetings, 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 and more meetings. I went to work with hard candy and Pepsi-Cola. I lived on hard candy and Pepsi-Cola. And I remember one time he says, you know anybody at work real close that you could tell you're in the program you wouldn't be afraid to tell him? I says, no. He says, well, he says, tell somebody at work in the program. He says, come sometimes... You're going to get shaky, but if somebody knows you're in the program, you're not going to want to drink in front of them. I said, okay. So I'm welding down the mill, and Harry, the biggest drunk in the local, Harry. Harry's pimped up for me, and I grab Harry. I said, Harry, I'm not going up at noon with you guys today. He's why, you short? Need a few bucks? I said, no, I'm just, I, I, I joined brother. What? I joined AA, Harry. You did? Oh, Tom, that's great. He's, Pat joined that about six years ago. He's doing wonderful. Boy, you really needed it, Tom. Uh, me, I said, how about you? He said, oh, I'm all right. There's about 200 guys in that job. Harry turns around and yells up, hey, Tommy joined AA. Everybody on the damn job knows I'm an AA. I'd known I couldn't go up and get a drink if I wanted to. You stay there, we'll bring you back. Yeah, bring you back a ham sandwich. You, Tommy, Tommy don't drink anymore. Nope, don't let him drink. I have my own, my own drinking buddy. Now there's about 10 or 15 of them in here with 20 years and 25 years. 15 of works. Meetings, 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 and more meetings. And things at home, people. Believe me, we're just staying together till we get enough money to afford a divorce. There's nothing going on in the house. Like I'm telling you, you can't live with me because I'm a raving maniac all the time. I'm not drinking, but I'm still crazy. And I go to the meeting one night. Somebody says, any anniversaries? And somebody said, Tommy's sober a year, and everybody clapped. Ray, Ray. Boy, I got a head that big. Get in the car, we're going home, and this guy says, Tommy, you still sleeping on the couch? I says, yeah, he's why? You work. Put her on the couch, you sleep in the bed. Is that right? Yeah. You still broke? Yeah. You still giving her checks every week? Yeah. Don't give her a check. She don't know how to handle money. You handle the money. Is that right? That's right. Damn right. I'm in the car by myself. <laughs> I have conversations with six nuts up here. 
and I always listen to the crazy ones. I don't know why. I'm drinking some night. Somebody says, you're going to St. Louis. No, why don't you go to St. Louis? Yeah, sounds good to me. Okay, okay, good. All right, same guy. I park, I walk in the house. I says, hey, new game rules. From now on, you sleep. You sleep in the, in the couch. I'm going to sleep in the bed. I work. And from now on, I'm going to handle the money. And from now on, and she's always reading those communist books. That's all she ever does, read them communist books. She looks up, she says, whoa. I said, what do you mean, whoa? Never said whoa before she got involved with those people. Whoa. I said, do you know what today is? She said, do I know what today is? Go out in the kitchen, look at the calendar. And around the kitchen, it was a great big red circle. July the 5th, Tom sober, one year, two days. Still crazy. <laughs> Come out and say, Tom, I used to think it was booze. I used to think you weren't ready to yell and scream because the booze made you crazy, but you haven't had a drink in a year. I know that. And I still can't live with you, Tom. There's no difference. Drunk or sober, you're still crazy. For a kid's sake and my sake, I'm going to divorce you, Tom. I have to. I went to the meetings, I grabbed the old timers, I said, you lied to me, you told me it was going to get better, my wife's divorcing me. Your wife's divorcing oh, Tom. Bill, did you get a divorce yet? Can I tell Tom about that? I didn't get a divorce, Tom. Bill did. Oh, Tom, they're great. You're going to get spiritual, Tom. She's going to take every damn material thing you want, Tom. I'm still living in one room, Tom. Meetings, 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 meetings in the morning. I go to a meeting, I'm sober 14 months, and a guy gets up, whoop. <laughs> guy gets up here and tells my story. He was sober six years, and his wife was in the audience, and she was looking at him like he was a movie star. And they were going on their first trip. They were going on a houseboat trip in Tennessee. In their new used station wagon. And they just got a new new refrigerator that day. And his job was going better. And I remember, sure, they had it rough. But they were making it back. They, they could see some daylight. I thought, oh, God, when's that going to happen for me? When, when is my wife going to be want to be with me? When are my kids going to want to be with me? How come my, my sobriety always has to be a fight? And he finished his lead. He said, take it home, yo-yo. Don't come in here giving spiritual advice to the new man. Then go home and rock with the wife and kids. You want to run grave? Great. You're six foot two, wonderful. Find somebody six foot two, go in the backyard. Yell and scream at him. This is the classroom, this is where you're going to learn. Then pick yourself up off the ground because he's going to deck you. Go home and say, Come on, honey, I'm going to take you and the kids for ice cream. Take the guy home you're going to be. Take the guy home you want to be. Act as if until. Don't happen overnight. Act as if. Act like the guy you want to be. I didn't use my brain when I was new. I used my sponsor's brain. I seen times I wanted to punch the foreman in the mouth and then walk off the job. But I said, Tom, you do what you want to do. You're going to be unemployed. What would Jay do? Jay would laugh, get a cup of coffee, and go back to work. But man, you better do what Jay do, Tommy, because if you do what you want to do, you're not going to be working. So I would do what Jay would do. I imitated and copied. Because I knew I didn't. I knew I was sick. So I, I took the people I trusted, and I took the people that, when I went to their homes, I seen their wives look at them with love in their eyes. I copied them. No man don't want what you have if you have nothing to give him. If he leaves his home and his kids and wife look at him with fear in their eyes, and you take him to your house and you tell him how great AA is, he walks in your house and he sees your wife and kids looking at you with fear in their eyes, and you have nothing he needs. 
Before you give it away, you better get it. Don't talk the big book. Be the big book. Live it. That's what really counts. Knowing isn't worth the powder, the blow, or the help. I'll introduce the guys that can quote the 12 steps by heart, know all these promises, know everything, tell you where this is and where that is, and they're drunk. Because they were so involved with being professors at the big book, they forgot to do what the big book says to do. Doing. Action is where the secret is, not the knowing. Not to be professors in here. One day old time was grabbing his tonic. I talked to you over there a minute. I said, sure. I figured he needed some advice. Mm. <laughs> Put his arm around my shoulders. You self-centered, selfish son of a gun. When are you going to grow up? A little over a year ago. You were sleeping in the weeds. Did you forget that, Burns? Now you got a warm bed. you got a job. you got a few bucks in your pocket. you got a decent automobile. you got kids. you got you got more blessings than you deserve. And all you do is moan and groan. You've been sober 14 months. You haven't got a Cadillac. Isn't that a damn shame? Grow up. There are four obstacles, Burns. One is unselfishness. Put it in your life if you can and see what happens. I thought, boy, I better do something. If I don't change, I'm going to drink again. I know it. I'm going to drink again. Nothing's happening. How come I, I can't get it? I better do something. On the way home, I stop at a Lawson store. I buy a box of chocolate-covered cherries, $1.89. And a card that you give somebody who was in the hospital. Thanks for being there when I needed you. Love, Tom. Joe, Joe, you're from the street. I'm going to be a lover. I walked into the house. I put him on the kitchen table. I didn't even have the guts to give him to her. And I walked into the living room where she was reading her books. And, and for the first time, I talked to her like she had a brain. Glenn, I, I, I heard a guy talk tonight. Now, I know how you feel about AA, man. I know how you feel about the divorce and everything. But listen to me. Give me two minutes of your time. I never talked like that before. I want to be like that guy, Glenn. They're going on vacation, and I want you and me and the kids to go on vacation, Glenn. And I want to pay our bills, and I want to live good. And I don't want to, I don't want this constant fighting all the time. I'm going to change. I'm going to do whatever I have to do, Glenn. Give me a couple of months. If I don't, I'll leave. But if I do, we may make it. And she smiled. She said, who led the meeting, Jesus? <laughs> Couldn't believe it. She said, I'll make some coffee. She went out in the kitchen. About five minutes, I heard her crying. I went out in the kitchen. She had the car and the candy and people. She lost it. All the pain. is isn't what I did. For the first time in my life, I thought of somebody else besides me. He stood at the kitchen table and lost it. And I got out there and we, we sat at the kitchen table and we cried and we talked and we cried and we talked. And we got out envelopes with five a week and this one, 20 a week and that one. Anybody on the couch? Get a box of candy. <laughs> I used to think it was big things, not big things. Hey, babe, how about coming in and having lunch with me today and, and then we'll go play golf this afternoon? Is that a big deal? I come home from work, I was sober 18 months, and she said, Tom, see that $30 on the kitchen table? That's Oz. 30 bucks over 18 months, 30 bucks, big deal? Yeah, for where we come from, it was a big deal. You know what I did? I took my kids in my new news station wagon. Took my wife and my kids, I went out to Sandusky, Ohio, to a Perkins pancake house. I bought $30 worth of strawberries, pancakes, and whipped cream. And my daughter was four years old, and she's sitting on the booth, and she's, Daddy, can I have more strawberries? Or you can be a strawberry. I filled the six bowls of strawberries and gave them to her. She come running around the booth and kissed me on cheek and said, Daddy, I love you. That's my AA. Daddy, I love you. And my sons grabbed my hand. They were eight, nine, 
wanted to sit in the front seat with me. My kids wanted to be with me. And God, we went on, we went on boating trips. And we went on skiing trips. And we go twice a year. We get down to, to Santee and Hilton Head. And we play golf together. Chris is a scratch golfer. I gave him lessons from the time he was nine. This son of a gun takes my money every week. Uh, it's great. We're tight. We're tight. People, that's my... Uh, so I call my sponsor. Tell him how great things are going. Midnight, he calls me. He says, pick me up. We're going on a 12-step call. We go to a little summer cottage. And, and this is just like one in the morning. Walk into this summer cottage, there's a young lady sitting by the kitchen sink, and she's got a big bruise on her face, and she's crying, and there's two kids over here, five and six years old, sneakers and underwear, this is wintertime. Got the picture? Scared, crying like my kids used to be. And, and then on the couch is a, is a guy, he's a lump, just a lump. I go in, I pick him up, and I listen for a heart, and I listen for a breath, and he's dead. Oh, you son of a gun. Why'd you have to die on my first 12-step call? What the hell am I going to tell the guys Friday? I want to carry the message. You give me a cough. What the hell do you want me to do? I go out in the kitchen. I grab the old timer. I say, this guy is. He says, young lady, do you have anything in the house to drink? She says, I have a bottle of wine. He took the wine and a glass, walked in the living room, hit them together, says, hey, buddy, want a drink? He sat right up. <laughs> I said, I said, you don't know, ladies are dead, these people. Poured him a glass of wine. The guy drank it, and when the, and when the glass was half full, he filled it again. It's funny when presses a drunk, isn't it? The glass was only half full, and he filled it again, and the guy looked up. He said, boy, you guys were all right. He's damn right. Want to go to a party with us? Yeah. Down the bayview, went down the alley. Give him a shower, put him to bed. I get home at 5 in the morning. I go to work. Home at 5 at night, I'm exhausted. I don't want to eat. I don't do nothing. I take a shower. I'm going up to bed. The phone rings. It's the old time. He's just stop and see the new man. I said, no, I didn't stop and see the new man. I'm not retired. I worked all day. I'm going to bed. He's, no, you're not. You're going down to see the new man. I said, no, I'm not. I don't even like the new man. <laughs> I said, I'm tired. He's, I don't care if you're tired. You're not tired. He's going to be there six days. You see him every day. I said, Bill, I, I don't know what to tell him. He said, who the hell says you've got to tell him anything? How about bringing them some cigarettes and sitting on his bed and letting him know somebody cares enough to be there? That's all you got to do. I slam the phone down. I go, I buy cigarettes. I go to the hospital room. I walk in. He looks at me. I look at him. I, how you doing? He said, they, they treat me all right? Everything all right? I taste your cigarettes. I don't care if you smoke. You don't smoke. Smoke the goddamn cigarette. My sponsor says, I got to come here talk to you. I don't even like you either. He takes one cigarette, I lit it for him, and he says, thank you. You know why he's afraid? Because he don't know how he got to the hospital. He don't even know why he's in the hospital. He don't know if he got a job, don't know if he got a family. So I told him how I felt when I woke up in jail. And he says, you know. I said, damn right I know. That's the beginning of sponsorship. Until a guy knows you know you haven't got a damn thing going. When he knows, you know. And you think, it's in the book. There's a bond that forms tighter than anything you'll ever know. Why do you think AA is too? I see my sponsor. I may not see him for ten years. And I see him, it's like five minutes the same. Every day I go to the hospital. My sponsor's down buying, buying food for his kids. He don't know that. It's the kind of guys I run with. They used to fill refrigerators with food and milk and eggs and meat. 
Took them home, I pick them up for meetings. Every night I'm running the meetings. I think I'm God. I'm picking out the leads. I'm all yet. He gets in my car, he's over three months. He's 24-hour book blows your mind, don't it? Did you read it today? No, I didn't read it today. Oh, it's great, Tom. I went to a meeting, I bought one, 24-hour book. I read yesterday, next week, next week, he asked me about this damn book tonight, boy. I don't know all the, about this book. He gets in my car five months, he's sober. He's a fifth chapter, blows your mind, don't it? I bought a big book. What's that mean? <laughs> who the hell's sponsoring who? Start reading that big book. I don't know where you were. When I come here, I scramble the legs. I can read. I read this paragraph. I go to this one. I don't know what the hell's in that one. I got AA in church basements, kitchens, cars, coffee shops till 3 in the morning, and praying with Sister Nation and listening to talk to new people. That's where I got AA. My wife's reading out and on literature to me. Eight months, I get a call from this guy's wife, and she's crying. She says, Tommy, can you please come down to the house? I figured that son of a gun's drink out, break his legs. After all I did, and I get down to that house, and I look up, and the screen door slams. I look up, and here's this wife coming, and she's crying. And she took my hands and put them behind my back and kissed me on the cheek, and I could feel the tears coming down my face. And she says, God bless you, Tom Burns, and God bless AA. Boy, you, you want to know what AA is all about? Wait till somebody says that. And he's saying he's up on a drunk, and I got a woman blessing me, and I'm a drunk. Why is she blessing me? Two kids run out. Come on, Uncle Tom. By then they go, Uncle Tom. Put you out of bedroom, and you go in that bedroom, he's standing by the bed, and that bed is full of slips and dresses and Levi's and you name it. Little bicycle and refrigerator full of food. You watch CAA? Watch a six-year-old kid jumping up and down on a bed showing you his new Levi's. My dad got these for me. My dad got these for me. And looking at his dad like he's Superman. That's my AA. He's crying, I'm crying, I get in the car, I go home, I say to wife, my God, honey, you, you, you should see that house, you should see those kids. She's yeah, and i never seen you so happy. You want to get happy? Forget yourself. You got problems? Let's put them on a piece of paper, put them on the coffee. When you get a cup of coffee, read all the problems. 99% of you will take your own back. Problems. If it don't bleed, the hell with it. Houses, jobs, cars, money in the bank, you name it. It means nothing. If it don't bleed, it's not a problem. The only thing that's important in this world is people. And I'll tell you why I say that. That man and hundreds of others can do our kitchen. You've seen our kitchen. It's a big AA kitchen. Big, great, big, great room with a coffee pot and a big round table. And God, people come and God, it's, we love it. Those walls could talk. You can get here 35 years of AA. My son comes in the program. My daughter, when she was 23, came in the program because she used to get depressed after drinking. Deep depression. She used to come to meetings with me. She sat at those tables from the time she was six listening to AA's talk. She knew more about AA by the time she was 10. And when she was 26, she got a 23. She was over three. She got a job with an advertising agency for Coca-Cola Company. Traveling all over the world. Come back and tell me about meetings in Texas and meetings in New Orleans and meetings up in Seattle and meetings in Aruba and every place Coca-Cola had a promotion. She was in charge of it. And she collected antiques. She used to come home between assignments. We'd sit at the kitchen table till five in the morning. She's telling me about AA all over the world. Apparently she comes home one time she's dad, my next assignment's down in Florida, Dad. But I don't want anybody to touch my antiques. I don't you worry, babe. 
I take a company truck, we load her antiques. She drives a little Italian convertible. Her wife takes the family car. We get down to south of Fort Myers, south of uh, Miami somewhere. And here's this beautiful apartment, swimming pools. And set her up. I said, well, go out to dinner. She said, no, you and mom go out to dinner. I want to get my place fixed up because tomorrow morning I want to cook your breakfast. Next morning I get up to help her. She said, no, dad, no, no, help me. I'm a big girl. She said, I want to cook the breakfast. You go swimming. And she gave me a letter tell me how much she loves me and I'm a spiritual father as well as a... You know, it's a lot of hugging, a lot of kissing. That's beautiful. And we come home and, and we got a phone call. They called the local police and the police came down and told my wife that my daughter was murdered. A drug addict needed money, seen the antiques, walked into the house, and she woke up at 3 in the morning and he killed her. Now, you're sober 23 years. You're supposed to be able to handle this. You won't handle a damn thing. Because the only thing you want to do is blow somebody's head off. And you go out in the backyard, you say, God, you can go to hell, God. Because I'm going to fall and I'm going to blow somebody's head off. And they finally catch him, and you go through a year and a half of court proceedings. You want to go nuts, go to, go to the courtroom. And listen, talk to this guy like Mr. Sellins, how do you live And you can't get at him because they got three detectives around you all the time. So he goes to prison and you come home. And you go to bed at 11, you wake up at 12. Because the only thing you want to do is, how am I going to get out? Well, I'll, I'll go to the floor and I'll start an AA meeting and in the jail. And then when he comes to the meeting, I'll get him. For three years, you pace the floor, you sleep an hour a night. You know what happens after three years? You know what happens when you hate so much? And, and when they say the Lord's Prayer, you say, God, you can go to hell. You kill my daughter. You let that happen. He blames God. God gets blamed for a lot of things he has nothing to do with. You go to the kitchen one day to do something and you forget where you are, what you're there for. You know nothing because as a result of, of not sleeping and not eating, they, the brain short circuits somehow. It's like a, like a transformer without oil. It just misses. You think you're moving his hand? My wife comes in, I don't want to see me like that, so she has to get out and she gets up and gets Chris. Chris, and another day, he came down the house. He says, come on, Daddy. He says, Chris was only sober five years then. Chris says, come on, Daddy. He says, you, you can crack up too just because you're sober 23 years. Don't make you God. They take me to the hospital. The doctor says, why do you feel me? The burn says, I don't care if I live or die. Never say that. Oh, God, never say that to a doctor. <laughs> they put you in a little room for your own protection. My son said, my dad's not going to go in any room. They call my family doctor. They put me in a... a Regular hospital place. Guy comes in, when was the last time you slept? I said, I don't know. Gives you a little pill. Knocks you for a loop. You, you walk around like a zombie for four days. Little people come in and say, do you love your mother? Yeah, I love my mother. What the hell is that? I don't want to see AAs. I don't want to see nothing. Because I know what they're going to say. I'm there two weeks. They send me home for a weekend. I'm home, I'm, I'm home an hour and I'm, I'm, all the hate comes back. They send me back I'm throwing people out of the room. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to go to Florida and kill somebody. And my son walks in the room with, with a big book. Can you imagine? Let me show you how great this program is. My son walks in that room with a big book. And he says, Dad, he says, these people may help you mentally and physically. But me, Dad, me and this book, we're going to help you spiritually. I said, Chris, take your God, your book, and get the hell out of here. He killed my daughter. And your son grabs you. And I don't know where you get the wisdom. He says, where'd you get that God? That isn't the God you told me about all my life. That isn't the God that gives life. My God gives life, Dad. My God don't kill. Where the hell did you get that sick God? Why don't you borrow my God, Dad? He didn't kill my sister. A sick person killed my sister. A drug addict that's sick killed my sister. Not my God. Don't blame my God for killing my sister. 
Here, Dad, you don't drink, but let me show you something. There's a second part of this first step that says that my life is unmanageable. Let's start over, and my son sponsored me based on my life's unmanageable. And we wouldn't go to business meetings for two years. They asked questions, and I didn't know the answers, but I would grab my pipe to fill it, and my son would answer, but nobody knew I was sick. We went to the doctor not too long ago, and the doctor says, boy, Mr. Burns, you're doing great. You're about 40% back. My son says, gee, that's wonderful. Before I got sick, he was operating on 20%. What the hell? <laughs> People, this is the greatest gift ever given to a man, ever given to a drunk, ever given to anybody. Please, I beg you. You bring the body here, and your mind's going to catch up. Thanks for listening to me, and have a good time. Amen.